this week on Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. The road to Duhantaku is nearly at its end. We will look back at a couple of the key matches on the road and look ahead to the shows this weekend, including the title showdowns. We will check out a former New Japan star's NXT TV debut. Plus, we will review NWA's Crockett Cup pay-per-view. And Kelsey and I will also check in on MLW, AEW, and WWE. And be sure to stick around for the end of the show when I'm joined by Glenn Rubenstein and Raj Giri as we review the YouTube series Cobra Kai and discuss how it relates to wrestling. All that next. WrestlingInc.com brings you Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, the podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in-depth on NJPW, AEW, ROH, PWG, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now, here's your host, Kelsey. Hi, and welcome to Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, as usual, as I am every week, by my co-host, Paul. Although you told me just now before we started to stop breathing, so I'm not sure if I should take that as I might not be here next week since you basically told me to stop breathing. Well, just like breathe less loud, I guess, (laughs) during the intro. I will try to be cognizant of that. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, Paul. (laughs) So we got a great (laughs) week of wrestling that we just got through. There's going to be another great week next week. But uh, I can't wait to delve into all the things we watched. A lot of New Japan shows, and there's going to be even more as it starts ramping up towards the Best of Super Juniors tournament. But we got to take a look at some MLW stuff, which I'm happy about because it's been a few weeks since we talked about that. Mm -hmm. Before we delve into all the wrestling news and all of that, let's quickly plug some of our social media you could find us on twitter and facebook at twofacepod t-w-o-f-a-c-e-d-p-o-d also go to our website to find out what platforms you can follow us on that's the same spelling t-w-o-f-a-c-e-d-p-o-d dot com also you could find me on social media if you love 90s nostalgia and wrestling i think my account is right up your alley because i've been doing a lot of 90s polls i've been doing these fun you know, semi-regular segments called Kelsey Likes, which I really have been having fun doing. They're videos that I do on my Periscope and YouTube. It's all about nostalgia. Some of it's about wrestling. Some of it's about movies. Some of it's about shows. Uh, The next one I'm going to do is going to be a listener topic segment, basically, where I answer any pop culture questions, any kind of questions that are about wrestling, literally anything anybody wants to ask me. That'll be next Tuesday instead of Wednesday. I usually do it every Wednesday, but next week it'll be next Tuesday. And then a couple of weeks after, it'll be Kelsey Likes 90s Kids Movies. And I'm really excited about that Yeah, you're all fired up to uh, have a whole weekend of lounging on the couch watching kids movies. A goofy movie, Mighty Ducks, (laughs) so many great movies, The Sandlot. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, I'm going to be rewatching so much good stuff. Stay tuned to my Twitter at SuperKickingIt for all of that. S-U-P-E-R-K-I-C-K-I-N-G-I-T. But that's enough of that. Let's get into the wrestling. Yeah, we'll talk about your other show a little later in the show and talk about uh, a little tie-in uh, in our listener feedback in the second segment. But now it's time to give our opinions on the latest wrestling shows, news, and developments. It's time for Headlines. <laughs> start this week just like we started last week on the road to Dontaku 
The end is in sight on the road to Dontaku. Two big shows this weekend. We'll talk about those matches coming up. But we're going to talk about a few of the matches we watched. Jay White, uh, his first match really since uh, losing to Okada at MSG. They they built a nice feud with him and Goto, and uh, they had a match the other night. And I thought it was a decent match. I think right off the bat, one of the things that I'm really loving about New Japan is, and we've talked about this before, is Red Shoes. How oh, entertaining he's the he is. Oh. He, in this match, I, he defiantly refuses to count when the illegal things happen. Like he'll shake his head defiantly, and he did this he during the. He turned away, yeah. too. He turned completely away from him. And, like, basically was like, no, I'm not going to count. <laughs> I love Red Shoes so much. I think sometimes he's a highlight of the match, and sometimes he's so entertaining to watch that you're almost distracted from the actual match <laughs> because he's just, his facial expressions. I love when he's trying to say, like, who's going to get up first? <laughs> he basically, like, does this little hand movement, like, who is it going to be? Who's going to get up? And he does this little palm thing where he, like, motions to both wrestlers. Such... A fun guy to watch. But yeah, I enjoyed the Jay White match, and I think it's good that he got the win because he obviously needed that to bounce back. And you made a an astute observation, actually. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for once. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You make a lot Man of... of blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. <laughs> you make a lot of good observations. I'm just joking. But um, I think you had something interesting to say. You basically said, I like how it is the opposite of Okada's fall after he lost he basically was ruined and kind of messed up mentally and right. kind of showed in his character whereas jay white has bounced back and is winning and i think that win was important for the difference between him and okada he doesn't seem to be that upset about losing he just knows that it's still the switchblade era right and he, i mean he even said it's still uh at the end it's still my new era of course we got a little heel work in you can't have uh gato ringside without him getting inf- involved so you had goto and gato <laughs> yeah uh goto kind of dominated early which i thought was interesting they kind of let him have that moment but eventually jay white got the win like you said i thought that was kind of important for him but uh good showing by goto as well and, and you know the, look this wasn't an important match by any means but it was one of the the main matches on the road this week because there weren't a ton of title matches there's two one both of which we'll get to in a minute it was important in the sense that like we just alluded to jay white bounced back whereas okada went on like a singles losing streak after he lost the iwgp heavyweight title jay white this match kind of proves that it won't be the case for him he is totally opposite of okada well let's uh, go to one of the title matches and we've talked about this before Junior heavyweight tag teams, there doesn't seem to be enough of them. So we get Sho and Yo against Shingo and, and Bushi again. And the difference in this one is Sho and Yo actually defended their belts, which is the first time they've ever done that. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting that every time they've gotten the belts, their first defense they've lost. <laughs> so, yeah, they this is the first time they've been successful, and it had to happen eventually. You would think that they'd have to retain. So I guess it was a needed Result. Well, and we both discussed it. It was kind of important what they did, too, is they've been building this show-Shingo rivalry, and the ending of the match still preserved the rivalry, so we can still have that down the road, too. It wasn't one pinning the other or anything like that. So I think that's important, too, because they're clearly building up 
this rivalry between the two of them. Yeah, they really focused in the match on those two participants. Like, they had a lot of interaction and sequences together, whereas it was like, are the other two guys even in the match? <laughs> Is this really a tag right. match? So it felt like that sometimes, but that was a good way to, like you said, preserve the feud going forward to have the result be decided between the other two guys. Yeah, and look, I thought this was a really good match. I wasn't overly hyped about it going into watching it, but I thought it was a really good match. And, uh, you know, not the best of the matches. I think the best match was, uh, you know, right... It was that same show, actually. Uh, it was a uh, six-man tag, Naito, and uh, Evil and Sonata versus Okada, Ishii, and Ibushi. And uh, we talked about Red Shoes before. In this one, they continued the for some reason, feud between Naito and Red Shoes, where Naito spits on at uh, Red Shoes, and Red Shoes, again, kind of defiantly shakes his head at him. And, yeah. That was so funny. But I the, like that. But, uh, you know, the announcer said this has been the match of the uh, of the tour so far, and it really was a great match. It really was. I mean, when you get Ishii involved, it's, like, hard to be bad. Yeah, well, and Ibushi was awesome. Yeah. Again, with that high cross body. But, again, that was the kind of a throwaway six-man tag, but... Sets up Ishii versus Evil, which we'll talk about momentarily. Okada versus Sonata. And so that was a great match. And it, so so I wasn't sure how Sho and Yo versus Shingo and Bushi was going to follow it. But it held up pretty well and was a pretty good match. Uh, so our other t- uh, title match this week was G.O.D. versus Yano and Makabe. Yeah, I mean, I am loving what they're doing with the story between these two. Mm-hmm teams i feel like god the video package was almost the best part i mean mm-hmm. the match was great too especially because we saw a different side of yanu like which you alluded to which you kind can, of a dark side yeah. yeah you can you can elaborate on that in a second but what i loved was the video package showing tamatonga running with the belt and we talked about this last <laughs> week just wobbling like when he runs looking so hilarious and absurd the way he was running with those belts. But even better than that, the graphics. So you get kind of like a video game style graphic where it showed Yanu and Makabe, but then the best part was it showed Tamatonga and Tongaloa and they had like like just the way they showed the cartoons were absurd and funny. Right. They look more like Grand Theft Auto, right? Yeah, well the font did, but yeah. The style of, like, the people, right. that really just was funny regardless of <laughs> right. it being based on Grand Theft Auto or not. It's just, if you haven't seen it, go back and look at the video package leading into their match. I think it was a great, well-done video package. I like how they emphasized the bag of belts that Tomatonga had been dragging around. And just a lot of stealing of the belts from each side, and that was really highlighted in that package. G.O.D. wins that match and uh, will continue to hold... All the all the gold, and we've got something we'll be looking forward to next week involving G.O.D. So do you like mad, angry Yanu, who's kind of like got a mission, or do you like funny, hilarious Yanu better? Well, I mean, the funny Yanu is funny, obviously, but I think it it is kind of cool every now and then when a, a guy, you know, and they've done this with Yanu. Yanu wasn't going to cheat for a little while, right? Mm-hmm. He was going to be within the rules. Now... With this, they showed kind of a, a mean streak and a dark side to him. So, I mean, I don't think that's his personality. I mean, the goofy, you know. He wasn't always goofy, but right. yes, right now it's been goofy for a while. And I do like the teasing of another side, though. Yeah. It makes a wrestler more 
dimensional really mm -hmm. you don't want somebody who's always one way all the time if you you can get little facets of the other side i think that's what makes great wrestling stories so let's look ahead to this weekend quickly and four really big uh uh, title matches two on uh, Saturday night or Saturday Saturday night in Japan. It'll be Saturday morning for us, and then and then two more on on Sunday. Uh, you've got the never open weight uh, title showdown between Jeff Cobb and Tai Chi. How do you see that one going? I don't want Tai Chi <laughs> to win. It better not be him. But he's been on such a streak lately. Uh, but Cobb's been really dominant. So I am just gonna guess. I'm going to put all my chips in the Cobb basket, I guess. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if Tai Chi wins because, you know, they're not going to have Jeff Cobb hold both belts forever. That's and true. with the best of Super Juniors coming up, I I can't imagine them having Jeff Cobb hold it all the way through that either, the never open weight. You know, I, I, I could be completely wrong, but we'll we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, the other one, uh, Dragon Lee versus Ishimori, of course, when we were at MSG. The terrific match that also included Bandito for the uh, the junior he uh, heavyweight title. And uh, now it's just these two, and I think it'll be great. I honestly am looking forward to that match more than any of the other title matches uh, or big big matches. Yeah, Even like I'm... Ishii and Evil, I love Ishii, but I'm looking forward to more Dragon Lee and Ishii more. I, I think I'm with you there. I think it's going to be a spectacular match. Yeah, I mean, I just I saw a glimpse of what they could do with that triple threat at G1 Supercar. Right. And now I feel like one-on-one, -on -one, they probably will have even more time. Mm -hmm. And I just have a feeling it's going to be really fast-paced and it's going to be something that we're going to remember. It might be the best match of the weekend. That's the main event of that night. Then the next night, Ishii versus Evil, as you mentioned. They've been building this up for months. Oh, yeah. And finally, they're going to get a singles uh, showdown and that one will be physical. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And Ishii, nothing he's involved in is bad. So I'm looking forward to it for sure. I just, I'm more excited about the faster pace of Dragon Lee and Ishimori, but I can't say enough how much I love Ishii. So I don't want to downplay him because he is wonderful. And of course, Okada and Sonata, the reason I'm not super pumped, even though Sonata and Okada had an amazing match during the New Japan Cup. I just feel like it's so soon to happen just again. Yeah. We just saw it. And again, we kind of complained about a similar thing with Naito and Ibushi. Like, oh, they're going to have another match right away? This is their third one in like a very short amount of time. And people, that's what happens in wrestling, I know. But I'm more used to things being more spread out, I, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Especially in New Japan. Whereas, just because you lost, you don't automatically get a rematch. Right. And it seems like lately, there's a lot of rematches happening, which before, a lot of times it'd be like the next person in line was already up and ready, and that's who was next. So to me, it is kind of a different thing lately, seeing all these rematches so soon in mm -hmm. New Japan. Not that they don't ever happen, but a lot of times it's more time in between. So it's something i got to get used to, but I'm sure just like the New Japan Cup match, it'll be great. I think so too. It'll be a tremendous uh, couple days of wrestling in New Japan, and then they will turn the page and start looking ahead to Best of Super Juniors. And, of course, some of their talent will be uh, joining forces with Ring of Honor and the War of the Worlds tour through the Midwest next week, which we will actually be attending a couple of those matches, and we'll look ahead to those next week. Yep, we'll be in Grand Rapids and in Chicago, my favorite city. <laughs> I really love Chicago. I can't wait to have that Swedish breakfast. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to the most. Yes, I know. Uh I, now I can't even remember the name of the restaurant. Uh, something Anne's? 
Ann Sather's, right? Yes, yes. Ann Sather's, yes. yeah. Tremendous. Uh, speaking of New Japan, we're going to switch gears. Former New Japan star, former junior heavyweight champion in Kushida, making his NXT TV debut. And they made it up to be a big deal uh, right off the top of the show. And the crowd certainly was into him. And he gets to keep his name, his gimmick, at least until... Vince his gets look? his yeah his look tell Vince gets his hands on him but oh gosh please no but uh, keep him the same neither of us was a big fan of his entrance music yeah I was gonna mention that I I just thought it was plain mm -hmm. I mean his other music I really liked a lot and then they had the video package that was actual footage of him as a kid wrestling around in his house and stuff. I love that old video package because it was so personal and it really shows you who Kushida is, which is somebody who's always wanted to be a wrestler and who's really fun and, I don't know, somebody you could get behind easily and like. I mean, if you're wrestling as a kid just around your house, how could you not <laughs> like that footage and have a smile on your face? That's what Kushida makes you do. It makes you smile. But what was kind of the opposite of making you smile in the match was he was busted open. Yeah. I actually thought that was, like, a really cool thing that happened on accident because it made his first match kind of more memorable. Yeah, I think it happened when Cassius Ono dropped the knee drop on him because uh, it looked like he made contact there, but... Yeah, they had Kushida absorbed a, a lot of punishment in that match. Cassius Ono actually had a really good showing, I thought, in that match. I, I mean, we all knew Kushida was going to win, but, you know, I guess that's not always a foregone conclusion when a guy makes his debut. But, uh, yeah, he got beat up pretty good. He did, and what, the thing I was most surprised about during the match was that they let his finisher have the same name as it used to, mm -hmm. the hoverboard lock, yep. which was surprising because I thought they would for sure change it. So I'm really happy about that. That's a positive sign, I think, for Kushida. I mean, like like all the things you mentioned, his look staying the same, his gimmick, kind of everything about him being the same, that is a great sign so far. But to flip the script, I mean, I know we're mostly talking about Kushida, but Cassius Ono, I can't ever see him on the main roster. I just don't think Vince is going to want to do anything with him. Probably not. And, you know, look, he may be the kind of guy who uh, just likes, you know, bouncing back and forth between NXT and NXT UK. He seems like a guy who's enough of a veteran that he's fine putting over some of the new guys as they come in. Because remember, he targeted Matt Riddle when Matt Riddle... And he lost quickly. Yeah. So uh, I think Cassius Ono seems to me like one of those company guys uh, who can have a career if he's okay with with doing those kinds of things, and he seems to be. He does seem to be losing quite a bit in the last year, going back even further than a year, actually, like into 2018. But, again, this showing was awesome. He didn't look bad. He looked no. pretty good and dominant, too. Yeah, he was good. So both of the guys looked great in the match, and that's why I think it was a successful TV debut for Kushida. That's my uh, rating. What do you think? Yeah, no, I thought Kushida looked good. I thought Cash Sona looked good. Uh, the announcers certainly seemed to... To play up that it was a really good match. so uh, And that Kushida was a big deal, mm -hmm. which is important, because yeah. he is a big deal. And they listed off, you know, all of his accolades in New Japan, too, which I thought was pretty cool. That is cool, because they don't always no. recognize where the person came from. Mm -mm. And to hear them specifically say things, I think, was quite surprising, but I was happy to hear it. Let's shift our attention to Raw and SmackDown and our weekly... War Machine, War Raiders, Viking Experience, Viking Raiders update. Uh, I picked up on this. So, you know when they used to come down to the ring, they'd pump their fists and the mm -hmm. crowd would chant war. Very obvious that they didn't do the 
fist pump now because they don't want them chant don't want the crowd chanting war. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> yep. I'll never get used to this. They've ruined them. They've ruined my boys. I mean, I know our our listeners can disagree, and that's okay. They might be saying, Kelsey, how could they be ruined by a name change? <laughs> well, because it lessens their personality, I feel. It kind of lessens the effectiveness of their characters. And also, how can the audience invest in people who last week they were, or two weeks ago, they were Viking experience, now they're Viking Raiders. What do we call these guys? You know, the <laughs> audience is probably confused, especially because it's the main roster right. audience who are more casual types of fans than, like, let's say the NXT audience right. is. They are more hardcore. So to me, you got a name change, you got you got to get used to these guys anyway for the casual fans watching them for the first time, and they're already probably confused. Yep. In fact, we talked about last week Michael Cole and Corey Graves were like stumbling over the name. This week it was the ring announcer when he announced them winning. You could tell the the winners of this match, the Viking, and there was a very noticeable pause. Like he couldn't remember what their the second part of their name was. So I thought that was kind of funny too. Well, I mean, just now when we were talking, I almost said, I don't even know what I almost called them, but I couldn't remember. I was like, Viking Experience? Like, two weeks ago? What? What? So it's all melding together for me, too. So I totally understand that. It's got to be hard for these guys to keep it straight. I uh, The other part of Raw that was interesting, of course, they announced the Money in the Bank participants, which we'll talk about that when we get around to Money in the Bank here in a couple of weeks and uh, our thoughts on that, but... Uh, AJ Styles and Seth Rollins had their face-off. I, I mentioned this this le- last week. It seems too quick because this is going to be two of your best going at it. It seems like they're just trying to force this rivalry right away to have this in the pay-per-view. And the confrontation they had was really forceful for this to be happening. Like... <laughs> So quickly, it just doesn't make sense. It's like so forceful, so soon, doesn't all add up, and it feels very, very forced and fake. Yeah. And it would have felt real if it had been built up for a while. Yeah. And it would have felt really important, but now it just feels like rushed and kind of odd. And another thing that I think is a little rushed was KO's turn on Kofi and the New Day. Personally, like this is my. You could have had that go for a little while, yeah. Yeah, you could have had that go and then been appalled, like extra appalled, when KO turned. Right. Well, especially because Big E's going to be out for a little while, so you could have let that breathe for a while. But I will say this the Kofi KO segment at the beginning of SmackDown I thought was really good. Uh, KO coming out and, and saying to Kofi, you know, look, none of these people really. While they all all loved your feel-good moment, nobody really buys you as a champion and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I thought great heel work by KO. Uh, you know, Kofi, I do love heel KO. Yeah, I gotta say, course. that's my favorite KO. And Kofi getting to relive WrestleMania, as Michael Cole even said, of all the moments I've called at WrestleMania, yours was the best WrestleMania moment. So And Kofi kind of seemed taken aback by that. Like, you know, like... It wasn't something Michael Cole told him in advance, I think, and he kind of was, like, kind of shocked, so... To be devil's advocate right now... Yes. I've seen on Twitter people being like, the celebration was over the top, like, the reminiscing of the win, because it just happened, and nothing much has happened since the win. Right. So they think it was overblown. I can see that. So that's just... I don't necessarily agree with that, because it was a huge moment that he won. No one thought it would happen, and it was such a surprise, because... A month or two before WrestleMania, that wasn't even in the plan. 
like you know that wasn't even in the books that wasn't even in the stars right. but it happened anyway and that's why i think it's one of the more special wrestlemania moments but uh i i guess i could see how other people would think that but i don't necessarily agree well ko is a born heel and uh, you know i'm glad he's there couple people that we've always said are born baby faces they've made Sami Zayn into a heel and and it sort of seems to me I could be off base but Bailey may be on her way to being a heel because you know she didn't smile coming to the ring and all that I I I think that would be a mistake to make her a heel just like I thought it was also a mistake to already have her go against Becky Lynch with nothing on the line but that's a whole other thing so I, Bailey and Sami Zayn, we've always said, are, are baby faces. And I don't like the Sam. I know people do. I don't like the Sami Zayn heel. I just – that's another one that just feels forced, and it kind of – it's a lot of him rambling. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. I don't know. A lot of people think that it does make sense, and it's, like, actually got some basis in truth. Right. And, you know, I could see that, but personally, my – my own opinion is that I, I don't like it at all because I think it's really rare to get somebody who's super believable as a babyface, and I know I'm going on and on because I've said this before in our podcast, so if you're a long-time listener, I apologize. I'm saying the same thing, but I still believe it. I think that it's hard to come by really believable babyfaces, and Sami Zayn is one of them, and Bailey too. A lot of people want to see Bailey turn heel. Just like they're liking Sammy as a heel. But to me, it's like you've got enough cool heels. Mm -hmm. Let some pure baby faces exist. Especially when they're not forced feeling. Because to me, it's so cheesy if you've got a baby face that's just over the top and, and very fake seeming. Whereas... If you've got somebody who's a natural at it, why not let them run with it? There's not right. a lot of people who could do that. I agree. Sami Zayn seems like a good guy. So does Bailey. So, well, okay. I knew what you meant. Yes. I knew you were going to correct yourself, but we all know what you meant. So, <laughs> to me, it's like, just let them run with it. I know people are dying for a Bailey heel. Yeah. A well, heel Bailey. But I, th- I, I don't care. I think they're going to get it. Uh, just, I like it the way it is. Her body language just screamed it to me on uh, SmackDown. couple things I'm kind of over... You know, and tired of their their overuse, and they did this with Becky and Lacey on Raw. The security having to separate them—they seem like they're using it every week now. It's enough with the the security can't hold them back, and you know they come back together. I, that's all nonsense. And then we've talked about this before, and I'm hoping that the the Money in the Bank pay per view is the end of it. Enough of the Shane Miz thing of Shane making fun of Miz's dad and all. And and really enough of Shane in ring, you know. Yeah, I know. We've talked about that before, but they're gonna do what they're gonna do. I don't know. I do want to uh, read off a couple of my favorite comments of the week. I always seem to like this. I like Corey Graves saying after Money in the Bank, uh, Becky Lynch, you could be looking at Becky no belts after they've been calling her Becky two belts. Yeah, and then true. Samoa Joe's comment about. <laughs> Ray because Ray Mysterio's had his kid in the locker room and Samoa Joe said, Ray, get that kid a mask, implying that the kid was pretty ugly. That's horrible. Oh, but I, great heel oh, stuff from Joe. Joe's amazing. He's the best. And unfortunate that the Hardys have to drop the uh, tag team belts with Jeff Hardy's injury, but you know, they'll move on with some sort of uh tag team tournament or something. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of 
Matt Hardy being turned back into the Hardy Boys, Matt Hardy. To me, you had Broken slash Woken Matt, which was the most unique thing going. And now Bray, like, let's quickly oh, touch yeah. on that. We, we Bray has that. kind of taken on a character change similar to what I consider the character change that Matt Hardy underwent when he changed from just being Matt Hardy to being Broken Matt and then when he went to the WWE eventually becoming Woken Matt and I loved that character change because there was nothing else in wrestling like it to me Bray Wyatt it's kind of similar to that there's nothing like what he's doing it's so reminiscent I said this last week so much like Pee-wee's Playhouse Mm -hmm. and Blue's Clues and again we saw more of the similarities between those shows and the Firefly Funhouse oh my god I'm tongue twisting it again (laughs) the Firefly Funhouse we're seeing the similarities even more this week because he had a word of the day much like what's today's secret word cool (laughs) remember what to do when you say the secret word scream real loud (laughs) that's what would happen on peewee so again word of the day really really similar to the secret word and um i'm liking it a lot because it's creepy Mm -hmm. no it's really good like afterwards i was so creeped out and i didn't think that that kind of segment could do that to me but it was well done and Corey even said no i don't want to sleep i I don't want to sleep ever (laughs) again." yeah that's okay i didn't want to sleep ever again or something yeah another good line by Corey. yeah it was tremendous uh, we haven't talked about AEW in a little while, and of course, we're less than a month away now from Double or Nothing, and Cody just uh, released a really good promo. Yeah, it was the Road to Double or Nothing video, the latest one. Of course, we found out that he's facing his brother, Dustin mm-hmm. Rhodes, who's now left WWE and shed his gold dust persona or gimmick, and now we're seeing them brother against brother, and I love how he painted it very uniquely. You know, I love my brother. I don't want to kill my brother. I want to kill the Attitude Era. And basically attack the Attitude Era. And everyone's talking about this, so I'm not saying anything new. But really unique angle to take on the feud. You could have done it very generically, you know, about their father's love or about about anything. About how Cody never had the place on the card that Dustin had while he was in WWE. But even address that, you know, calling attention to the prodigal son idea. Mm -hmm. Um and even in the YouTube description, it defines the word prodigal. And I really like that a lot because it perfectly suits Cody Rhodes. And even said he was okay with being known as that. But he's, you know, here to kind of, he kind of alluded to putting down Dustin. And then he got, like, emotional, obviously. I mean, to me, that's the part I didn't like about it is the, the emotional part. Because he's not going to truly put down Dustin or hurt <laughs> Dustin in any way. So to me, that emotional part, like when he was talking about putting him down, it's like, you're not really going to put him down. So there's no reason, reason to cry. But but it really works for what it was supposed to do. And overall, it was a wonderful, emotional, great story type of promo. And if we had more of that in wrestling, we'd be in good shape. Also to note, this might not be an AEW news thing. But um, who knows if Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley again, because he used to be called that, now he's being called that again. Who knows if he's on his way to AEW. Some people free froze the uh, promo video, right. the vignette, and saw a pair of dice on the wall. Yeah, but it was, I see, I think, and I, look, maybe people are right. I think that's reading way too much into it. I mean, he's just walking down the street past an advertisement. I, I, I get it could mean something, but... I, I don't know. Let me play devil's advocate. Let me play devil's advocate. Oh my god! <laughs> Let me play devil's advocate and say, well, you know what? In movies, everything usually has a reason for being, being in the frame. It's called mise en scene. 
E-N, not in, I-N. It's end scene, like a scene of a movie. And what it means is, like, everything within the frame is there for a reason. And sometimes it's, like, specifically placed a certain way to, like, evoke a certain reaction, or even if it's subconscious. So we're going to talk about The Godfather and Goodfellas in a little while. Well, something that I talked about about The Godfather is Luca Brazzi, one of the gangsters, going into a bar, and he gets killed. As he's going into the bar, there's this glass with fishes underwater on the glass. Like, it's it's a design on the glass. And so I think that's kind of a little bit of foreshadowing. And it was done on purpose. Right. Oh, on yeah. how he's going to sleep with the fishes. Right. That's so fun. to me, that was done on purpose. Those fish aren't random. No. So who knows if the dice are random? That could be very yeah. well. Why would they put random dice? I don't know. We'll see. To me, it's very well could be on purpose. It was such a high-quality video. I have a feeling that was on purpose, and that was in their video could be. for a reason. Could be, and it was, but it was interesting. It was released right after his contract officially expired with WWE uh, because I know there were people saying, oh, the whole Dean Ambrose thing is just a WWE angle, which we kind of thought, too, because we're surprised how much they brought it up. But uh, now his contract is up, and now he's John Moxley, so... Yep, we'll have to see what develops with that, but I liked the video package for sure. Regardless of if he's going to AEW or not, I'd be happy to see him anywhere. Well, he's the kind of guy that uh, comes unhinged quite a bit, and uh, as we switch to MLW, a guy that's uh, completely come unhinged is Sammy Callahan, but maybe even more so coming unhinged was Jim Cornette describing Sammy Callahan throughout the match. God, uh, he, like, threw so many insults his way. Oh called him a pig at one point yeah. and all this other stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. How can fans like him? Yeah, we hadn't checked out MLW in a while, but really a, a great uh, match between him and uh, Warner. Yeah, we, we really had been so focused on other promotions, and our good friend AJ, a great viewer and listener, he kind of said, oh, I, I love you guys' opinion so much. Can you please talk about MLW whenever you get the chance a little bit more? Because I just want to hear your analysis of it. So we're actually glad we checked it out because that Sammy Callahan match was awesome. Great, great. And, the, you know, Cornette just going off the entire match about what a scumbag Sam, <laughs> Sammy is. And, and, and Sammy played up the whole disgusting part himself between hawking a loogie on, oh. on Warner, spitting in the air, and then catching it in his mouth. Just he, oh. he, he is a gross, gross person, but he's perfect for that. The funny thing is, we were calling him gross before it became like a universal insult about him <laughs> or a universal comment about him. We were saying, when we were doing our pop and wrestling connections, whenever I would have like a gross character I had to recast with a wrestler, <laughs> I would choose Sammy Callahan because he's gross and slimy and weird. But you know what? Having said that, he's one of my favorite wrestlers, so I don't care that he's all gross and nasty and <laughs> spits and blah, 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 eats his spit and whatever. It doesn't matter. He's still one of my favorites. No, and then, again, that match was really good. If, if, if you haven't seen it, go back and check it out on YouTube on MLW's channel because it was last week's episode and it was the uh, last match of the episode. And, Really was an entertaining match. It really was, and there'll probably be another episode by the time this show releases, which is fine, but right. just go back two weeks if there is another one that's released, and uh, you'll be able to see it because it's in the title where it says Sammy Callahan. So. And I was also uh, drawn in by this uh, group that has been interfering called Contra, and one guy in particular, I'm like, he looks like somebody that was in WWE, turns out, He's the son of Umaga. He's cousins with the Usos. So uh, somebody to watch in uh, MLW is this group Contra because uh, they certainly 
wreaked havoc throughout uh, the last couple weeks of MLW. So it's uh, fun to watch him. But again, I, I looked at him and I'm like, God, he, he looks like somebody. And so it was uh, interesting to see that as well. well let's switch to uh, our final headlines topic. And it was the NWA Crockett Cup over the weekend. Pretty good show, I thought. I thought it was a great show, and especially the main event. I think that's the the match that shined mm-hmm. out of the whole thing. Of course, the Briscoes got disqualified in the Crockett Cup tournament, which mm-hmm. was kind of a bummer, but they released a scathing promo afterwards with offensive language. And actually, I kind of got into an interesting back-and-forth debate with somebody on Twitter who said, you know, I don't like the Briscoes. There's nothing artistic. There's nothing good about them. Like, the Usos are where (laughs) that's at for me. And I'm like, there's no way. The Usos, in my opinion, and if you guys disagree, that's fine because everyone loves the Usos. But to me, their gimmick is so forced and phony. There's nothing believable about how hardcore they are and how tough they are. To me, the Briscoes, it's super believable to me that they're cursed, that they're tough, that they are who they claim they are. So to me, the Briscoes, there is an artistry to being yourself, and they've got the creative freedom to just be them. And the Briscoes are the Briscoes, and that's why they're so great. Because they're so good at being themselves and being just crazy rednecks. That's what they play up, and that's what they deliver. Well, since we're talking about the tag teams, let's talk about that finals of the Crockett Cup. And it was PCO and King versus Isaacs and Latimer. And uh, I love the funny and ridiculousness part of of PCO supposedly had his shoulder dislocated. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about this. And in the middle of the match... He yells at Brody King, screams at him, fix my shoulder. And so Brody King jumps off and pulls it against the rope. But it was just so ludicrous. Like, PCO had been backstage for the last half hour. Like, he didn't have a doctor look at his shoulder. Like, he could have got it popped back <laughs> right. in back there. Instead, he's going to have Brody King fix it in the middle of the match. I still liked it. Oh, it was, it was still great. Fun. It was funny. It was. I was actually super surprised by the results because I really thought that there was no way they were going to put it on PCO and King because they're exclusively Ring of Honor guys, more so than NWA guys. Now, I know that there's a partnership between NWA and Ring of Honor, but I still thought that there's no way they'd be able to tour and, you know, defend the belts. But they won. And, man, that's just a lot about, I think, their their run the last few months they've been on fire they've really been over since they joined ring of honor i mean even before so pco was doing great on the indie scene before he joined ring of honor and so was Brody king they were both gaining momentum but since they've been paired together it's almost been an insane rise they just keep going up and up in popularity Mm -hmm. and they keep getting the wins because i think the companies see that right like wow these guys are over let's bank on this let's cash this in right now and yeah. use that popularity and put some belts on them. It's pretty funny. Thir- 13 months ago, we didn't even know who Brody King was, and then we saw him at a PWG show, and uh, now he's he's the winner of the NWA Crockett Cup, and he's been a, a tag team champ at Ring of Honor. So Not only did we see him at PWG, but we saw him the next night at, I think, Strong Style Evolved as like a ring Almost like a young lion. Right. Yeah, right. but I mean, I don't think he was an official young lion, but he was helping out around the ring. Right. There on the floor. So that was kind of funny because it was in the same area two nights back to back. And so we saw him twice in a row and we didn't even know who he was. Right. And quickly, he became a name that we talked about quite a lot after that. Right. 
Well, you were surprised that they won the belts, but even more surprised that Colt Cabana won the national championship. I am so happy with this result. Even though I tweeted at the beginning of the match, I honestly don't know who I wanted to win at, at the beginning. I was like, I love Willie Mack, but of course Colt's a favorite of mine. I'm really glad Colt won, though, after having said I was torn, because, I mean, he's amazing. And with the belt, he just totally deserves it. And then we saw James Storm come up and challenge him, so that'll be interesting. He'll be defending against him very soon. But I love on Twitter, I think NWA posted a photo with Colt in the national title, and it's on Colt's shoulder, and it's almost like an engagement photo. Like, he's looking at the belt, like, so lovingly, like they're getting engaged. He's like, oh. You've got to go look up the photo. It's it's priceless. It's it's like a romantic photo. Uh, they also had NWA legends come back, and I had to laugh when Caprice Coleman was interviewing Nikita Koloff, and at one point during the interview, he goes, what happened to your accent? <laughs> I thought that was a great line. I actually got to say, speaking of Caprice Coleman, I think he doesn't ever get enough love about how good he is on the mic. He really transitioned perfectly from the announce table with the commentators to what he was asked to do. So he did kind of keep the audience engaged in what was happening. He had to introduce the legends and talk with them. So everything he was asked to do, he did perfectly. It's a hard job, too, when there's so much going on. Caprice is great on the mic, and we know that for a fact, and we know that firsthand because you and I were able to interview him, and it was like I was on Coleman's pulpit. It was <laughs> awesome. Again, I love Caprice. I can't say enough about him. Sweet guy. Well, let's switch to the main event, Nick Aldis versus Marty Skrull. And uh, right off the bat, uh, Skrull pretends that uh, Camille tripped him and gets Camille thrown out of the match. So right off the bat, some chicanery by Marty Skrull. And that would be a theme throughout the match that he would do whatever it took to try and win the belt, basically. I'm not surprised he didn't win, though. There were some people saying, oh, I could see... Scroll finally winning tonight, but I'm like, no, because his contract's going to be up in a year, and I just can't see him traveling where he's got ROH dates. He can't just travel everywhere with NWA, plus NWA's relationship with Nick Aldis is so strong. Mm-hmm. You've got to have another wrestler who has a strong relationship and is willing to be completely committed to NWA for them to finally take the belt off Aldis. Aldis is kind of like an NWA guy exclusively right now. I just can't see him losing it. Because they've built up so much with him, with the company, and they almost go hand-in-hand hand right now. So to me, going in, I had a feeling it wasn't going to be Skrull, but still a great match. It really was. Uh, all this at one point choke slams Marty Skrull through the table, which was awesome. But then he does this weird walk. It was almost like the uh, the the Bernie dance, but he was oh, walking yeah. where he was slinging his arms weirdly and stuff. Like he was all proud of himself. Yeah, I like that a lot. He really carries himself, like, really prominently, and that's why I think he makes a great NWA champ. But the blood. Yeah, holy mackerel. Oh, my God. That was so much blood. It's insane. Well, and the iconic picture that NWA put out later of what the mat looked like. It was a blue mat, but it had so many blood stains (laughs) on it. And they're like, they left it all in the ring, literally. They really gave it their all, both of them, even their blood. And that's what I loved about the match because I think that the best types of matches are matches between friends Mm -hmm. because they go harder on each other than anybody else. If you're having a match with just somebody you kind of work with sometimes, I feel like, yeah, it could be great, it could be decent, but match between two friends, they've got something to prove, they know each other very well, and they're like, let's 
tear the house down. It's almost like a, a mutual decision. Let's do this. Right, and it really was a great match. And like I said, Marty was going to win at all costs. Nick Aldis was going to try and win honorably. So Camille came back, tried to get involved, and Aldis kicks her out of the ring, basically says, get back in the back. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of the whole match because Nick Aldis wanted to win on his own accord, especially because they had been friends. This girl didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care at all. He, he wanted to still use heel tactics, and that just shows you he's the villain. And yeah, that's what villains do. In the end, Aldis makes uh, Marty tap, and Aldis retains the belt, and we'll see who Nick Aldis's next target is for a championship match in NWA. And we'll see where Marty goes from here, too. Yeah, I mean, got to think he's going to get a one-on-one with Taven at some point in Ring of Honor. That would be my thought process on that, but we'll, we will see. Well, Kelsey, uh, on either or this week, your uh, bi-weekly show on your uh, uh, YouTube channel and on your social media, you had to choose between Goodfellas and The Godfather as far as which was your favorite movie. When we come back, some of our listeners will recast those movies with wrestlers. Plus, we'll take your questions next. St. Arnold Brewing Company, located in Houston, is Texas' oldest craft brewery. Their goal is to brew world-class beers and deliver them to their customers as fresh as possible, making them the best beers in Texas and Louisiana. Their customers are beer lovers, people that appreciate great full-flavored beers. So whether you're enjoying an art car IPA or a smooth-drinking lawnmower, Look for St. Arnold beers throughout Louisiana and Texas. Our Two-Faced Wrestling Talk logo was inspired by Two-Face, the Batman animated series character, and his coin. The logo was designed by the talented and creative artist Eric Hudson. Eric creates wrestling-themed pieces as well as other pop culture art. He is also currently working on a Roddy Piper comic book. You can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dreaded Dinosaur. You can also support his work by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash dreaded dinosaur. Please check out his work. And now back to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. So we mentioned this before the break. You uh, did your either-or episode of Goodfellas versus Godfather. Boy, I mean, I weighed in, of course, and I, I choose Goodfellas just because... It's it never stops the movie. There's no lulls, and that's I think the reason I like it better. To me, Godfather has 20 minutes or so of just stuff that feels like filler that could be lopped out of it, and so I don't think it moves like Goodfellas does, and so that's why I would I would choose it. But we watched both this week, and I love both, although. <laughs> Sonny Corleone. Sonny yeah. Corleone's fight with Carlo first. No, his fight with Carlo where he misses the punch oh, by like a foot. And then, then his comical death is just he gets out of the car to get shot yeah. more <laughs> and flopping around. It was one of it was I know at the time it was an iconic death scene, but I <laughs> looking back on it now is fairly ridiculous. It was ridiculous, but having said that there's a lot of artistic, mm-hmm. wonderful awesome. scenes and wonderful shots specifically in The Godfather. But I will say that I'm not going to give away which movie I chose as my favorite because you got to go to my 
Twitter or my YouTube channel to discover what I chose and watch the video. Again, that's at SuperKickingIt, S-U-P-E-R-K-I-C-K-I-N-G-I-T for the Twitter Periscope video, or you can find it on YouTube, Super Kicking It with Kelsey, K-E-L-S-I. Well, you also talked about artistic scenes. Uh, I I weighed in towards the end, and you didn't see it. One of my favorite scenes from Goodfellas is when he takes his future wife on that first date and the restaurant. Yeah, it's a long tracking shot where they go in through the back of the restaurant and he passes so many people he knows. He passes the kitchen with like 40 people working in the kitchen. You commented like how many people are going to (laughs) work in the kitchen. I also forgot to mention in my either or how much I love this scene. I forgot to mention Henry just going through the whole maze of the kitchen into the restaurant. Finally, he gets like a really front row seat because he's valued. He's kind of like a big guy, you know, there. And in the community, and everyone respects him. So it's really cool. And you hear Karen narrate about how, who is this guy? And she's super impressed at this point. So it's just wonderful and accomplishes what it's supposed to accomplish. It shows you that Henry's kind of like a made guy at that point. And it also shows you how Karen's kind of falling in love with him. So to me, it does everything it's supposed to do. And the shot itself is beautiful and well done. And took a lot of choreographing because you have to... Literally have everyone walk by at the exact right time. Well, the blocking must they, have been insane. And they did it earlier in the movie, too. Another great scene is where Henry meets all the people in the family, basically, as they're going through. All the gangsters. Yeah, and all the guys with their nicknames, and they they acknowledge him or whatever. And, I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, the two yeah, times. Yep, two times. So some great scenes. And so Goodfellas edges out, edges out Godfather for me. I'm not going to say which one no, I chose, I know. but that Tommy yeah. death scene, Pesci. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's of course. Great. I mean, I'm not going to go into it too much, but there's a lot of great stuff I like in both movies. But we asked you guys, recast either Goodfellas or The Godfather with wrestlers, and always, our listeners and viewers, they come up with the most creative stuff. So let's get right into it. You guys blow me away with your creativity. At PCH Nilbog says, Goodfellas, James Conway is Tamatonga since he's a true gangster. (laughs) Henry Hill is Sammy Callahan because he has no qualms hurting people. Tommy DeVito is low-key because he's the shortest, both in height and fuse length. (laughs) I like the casting of Goodfellas with wrestlers, except the only one is Henry Hill. He says, no qualms hurting people. I feel like Henry does have some qualms hurting people. Yeah. We don't really see him do easily an all-out murder. No, not easily. And in fact, when the other two do the murders, he kind of looks very weird about it. Right. I mean, he... He engages in wrongdoing, don't get me wrong, but I feel like out of the three main characters, I feel like he is the least okay with hurting people. So to me, I feel like Henry Hill could have been cast as somebody else, almost somebody like almost a tweener maybe. Right, right. Sammy Callahan could have been Tommy DeVito too. Oh yeah, for sure. But overall, Mm -hmm. I really liked it a lot, Mm -hmm. PC Hassler. Very good. All right, our next one. Uh, at Damien Cage, the obvious one for the Godfather is wrestling's Godfather. Of Name course. play, of yes. course. I thought that was funny. At Sensei underscore Dave Bear, too easy for Godfather, but Don Vito, Vince McMahon, of course. Sonny, Shane McMahon, because he's the son, right. of course. Paul Heyman, Tom <laughs> Hagen. I really don't remember this character, but Abandando? 
I think it's Bruce mm-hmm. Pritchard, he says, Clemenza, Pat Patterson, Michael, Stephanie <laughs> McMahon. I think that's really unique. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's Al Pacino's character. Right. I like that a lot, actually, because I could see Stephanie being the pure villain, really just going deeper and deeper into the crime world. Fredo, Hornswoggle. That is funny, actually. That would work. Mm-hmm. Luca Brazzi, or Brazzi. I always say Brazzi, like, yeah. like a brat. <laughs> uh, the Undertaker slash Brock Lesnar. And Triple H would be Kate Adams, <laughs> which is funny, but it makes sense because, obviously, Stephanie and Triple H are married. Kay and Michael are married. So that works perfectly. Great casting there, Dave. Uh, next one is from uh, at the Sandman 91 Oh, I'm going to pick the... Uh, Goodfellas and go with uh, John Cena as Henry Hill, Vince McMahon as Paulie, of course, a young Terry Funk as Tommy, because <laughs> he is crazy, and Steve Austin as Jimmy the Gent. I like all of those picks. I could really see Steve Austin as Robert De Niro's character. That's great. <laughs> Robert De Niro, 316, or Jimmy, 316. <laughs> At the Sandman 091 added in and said, maybe I'd change Steve Austin to The Undertaker. So he's saying maybe Robert De Niro would actually be played by The Undertaker. The Undertaker would play uh, Robert De Niro's role because he's more of the Robert De Niro of the wrestling world, in his opinion. And then finally, at Sand K 2003 says, Goodfellas, I'll recast Sami Zayn. He has to be De Niro. His expressions always remind me of De Niro. <laughs> maybe Russo could be Henry uh, being... Being that people say he exposed the business. And then Ken Shamrock as Tommy. I love the Sami Zayn comment because as soon as I read the comparison with De Niro's expressions to Sami's, I could see it. Because I've looked at Sami and the way he like talks and his facial expressions. It is kind of De Niro-like. That is genius, Sand K 2003. Very good. We appreciate everybody weighing in and, of course, remind everybody to watch... Kelsey's either or on Goodfellas versus Godfather. Yep. I had a lot of fun doing it, but I wish I could have talked 30 more minutes on it because there's so (laughs) much to say, especially about Goodfellas. I really didn't talk too in depth on that for some reason. And maybe another day I'll just talk Kelsey likes Goodfellas and just do it all on Goodfellas. All right. So uh, now we also put out a call for uh, questions because we haven't answered uh, listener questions in a while. So let's go to some of those and we'll start with Zach She 130 with Marty Scroll losing to Nick Aldis, what is next for the villain? Does the Briscoes versus Tongans feud call for gold? If yes, what tag t- title would be on the line? Uh, with Nick Aldis ribbing Jay Lethal on ROH commentary, should the two face off for the title at ROH Best in the World? Uh, I alluded to Marty Scroll taking on Taven. I think that'll be a singles match down the road. I think the Briscoes versus the Tongans will probably be for the Ring of Honor gold. Uh, that way it, the belts come back to Ring of Honor. Yes, and it balances out again, yeah. And then, yeah, I think Nick Aldis and Jay Lethal is going to happen. I don't know if it'll happen at Best in the World, but I, I think there's no doubt it's coming, and especially with Jay Lethal not holding the championship in Ring of Honor. Then it's easy for it to happen. Yeah, I agree. For sure. So, I, I can't wait for that match. It'll be it'll, awesome. It'll be great, and... They've been laying subtle hints, as Zachary kind of alluded to, on commentary. Aldis just kind of really being very harsh about Jay Lethal, especially G1 Supercard. But even before that, 
when you saw some of the house shows that they show on Honor Club, same thing. It's been for quite a while and, and, now. And getting on Ian Riccoboni basically being a cheerleader for Jay Lethal yeah. almost. I love some that. I think stuff. some very good small touches, but it adds a lot to what I think is going to be an eventual feud between the two of them. So Zachary continues on with some more questions. Post War of the Worlds wrestling shows you hope to attend in 2019, of course he means wrestling shows, but he also asks, what non-wrestling events do we hope to attend this year as well? Well, um, I can tell you the ones we definitely are going to. Uh, we're going to see Paul McCartney, yeah. so that's cool. Uh, I'm going to take you to Summerfest for the first time in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which I've been going to for more than 20 years, so looking forward to that, uh, you know. I'd like to say that we're going to see the Bruins in the Stanley Cup final somewhere and go go to that. Gosh, or that'd the, be awesome. Or the Celtics, who I'm repping today. Uh, maybe in the NBA finals against somebody, but uh, I, I guess those would be like some dream non-wrestling events. Uh, wrestling events? We've got plenty, I'm sure. I mean, wrestling events, we go to a <laughs> lot, so I, I don't... Whatever we can go to, that's what I want to go to. I really don't have any specific preferences about I have to get there. We Really, we try to go as much as we can to anything. But in terms of non-wrestling events, I've got a lot I want to do. I mean, all I'm asking for is one flippin' ska show. <laughs> we can't find ska anywhere. It almost worked out to where when we go to Chicago, we could have seen Streetlight Manifesto, but it's just on the exact wrong day. If it was just one it's, day earlier. It's the same night as one of the War of the Worlds shows. Yeah, so we can't go, and I'm bummed out because I love ska and you can't find ska in new orleans anymore you used to be able to i used to go to ska shoes local ska shows almost every week in high school so to me i really love ska music and uh i'd love to go to any 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 doesn't matter what the band is any ska show i could find well, hopefully soon and the other one we didn't mention because of chicago you're gonna get to see wrigley field for the first time in a chicago cubs game and get the whole authentic experience sitting in the bleachers That'll be uh, pretty cool. Yeah, that'll be fun. and uh, Wrestling-wise, G1, don't forget, too. Oh, yeah, we're going to <laughs> Dallas, but we're already going to that for sure. Right. But he's talking about, like, what do we want to go to? What do we hope to attend well, that we don't have well, if to? If money were work. no object, all of them. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. I'd be going to everything if money wasn't an option for sure. And then I could cover everything, too. But, I mean, I've got more non-wrestling events I want to go to. Like you alluded to, the Bruins. It would be great to see them actually make it to the Stanley Cup. Really, I'd love to go to a lot more hockey games in general because hockey is a new sport I'm into. I'm really getting into it, and I'd really like to see a lot more games. But there's none. Again, in New Orleans, there's really hardly any teams close by, so that's the one bummer. No, our closest NHL team is in Dallas, which we we could go We did them. go there. I mean, And we could see them in the Stanley Cup Finals, I guess. Uh, maybe. Our closest hockey team in general is in Pensacola, the Ice Flyers, in the SPHL. But... Uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully uh, more hockey on the horizon. I'm all for that. Uh, let's uh, go to our next question from at PCH Nilbog. In Bray Wyatt's new gimmick, he has a doll which seems to hold a special place in the funhouse. Many take this as a sign Sister Abigail is showing up. If so, who's it going to be? A lot of people say Nikki Cross. I think Chelsea Green. She was awesome on Impact as the Mad Bride. Uh, I actually think both of those would be tremendous choices. <laughs> Uh, remember when they tried to do Bray being Sister Abigail? The funny thing is, I think the voice is Bray's voice. Right. Of the doll. Right. So to me, it's like, is it just going to be a rehash of him in like women's clothing again? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I'm hoping it is Nikki Cross, even though I really would like her just to keep her own gimmicks. Maybe Chelsea Green would be a better fit overall. 
Yeah. Because I kind of like Nikki Cross as Nikki Cross. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think she's great, but they're not even using her as her. So that's a big bummer. Maybe bring back Vicky Guerrero for that role. A lot of screaming and scariness. Screeching. I don't know if that would fit very much, but our great friend Jody has a question for us. She's at Jody A D L E, and that's spelled J O D Y. Any opinions on the state of WWE? I think the storytelling's kind of weak. The wrestling's getting a little better over the last few weeks, but storytelling needs a lot of work. I've been watching a lot of good shows and a lot of good wrestling. I mean, with that Cody promo, with the other promotions we're into, like New Japan for Wrestling, they all are good at storytelling. That's where I think WWE's biggest weak point is right now. And then I watch shows like Cobra Kai, where you see so multidimensional characters that you just invest in. And I, I think that's what's missing in WWE. What do you think, Paul? I was a little more hopeful a few months ago. It seemed like they were kind of turning the corner. But it really feels like the last few weeks, there's been a lot of haphazardness to it. Uh, not a lot of commitment to storylines, to even things that they were doing. Like Andrade goes to Raw on the, super, on the Superstar Shake-Up, but then the next week he's back on SmackDown. Uh, things like that are, are a little annoying to me. The And... and I don't think they're letting the wrestling talent go as long as they should let them go in these matches. Yeah. Because there have been some good matches. Uh, there's no doubt about it. There were some good matches on both shows this week. But it felt like, you know, it more it was more of a lot of the goofy stuff. And, and yeah. They, and, and that's always been my problem with WWE is it's too much of that. And so I overall, I'm not ex- – excited as I was maybe a few months ago when I thought they were turning the corner when they had, you know, Seth Rollins and that gauntlet match and, and, you know, certain things are, are, I'm excited about like Kofi and things like that. And, you know, I think the participants in the men's money in the bank coming up, I think are all good choices for the most part. So things like that make me excited. I think Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles I think could be a tremendous series, even though I think, as we both talked about, a little too soon for that. I think Seth should have been just going off against somebody a little more generic at Money in the Bank for his first title defense. You know, so yeah. so I, I, I guess bottom line is I'm mixed. I think it, there's potential to be a whole lot better. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Our next question comes from our good friend RJ at Krasinski RJ. Bold prediction from each of the major promotions between now and Mania 36. I'm going to let you answer this because I literally, I'm terrible at predictions. I really don't like making bold predictions. I don't know. I, uh, I honestly don't know. I would, I know this seems like an obvious one. I think when AEW does all in two, I think CM Punk shows up in some form maybe not double or nothing not double or nothing i think the show when they go back to all in in chicago i think cm punk makes because he's actually busy the night of double or nothing right he's commentating some fighting thing and i don't think that's any sort of bold prediction i just think with his recent appearance in milwaukee or supposed appearance uh you know i just think at some point he's going to come out of the woodwork and it seems like a chance to stick it to WWE would entice him to come out. So I think that would be one of the bold predictions. I think you're going to see somebody major defect from WWE. I don't know who, but I think somebody major from WWE is going to defect to AEW in the next year. 
Yeah. I don't know who it's going to be, but I think there's going to be a major name that goes. And maybe maybe it is like Dean Ambrose. It could be. Uh, but that's the kind of star you want to see somebody leave WWE and really su- surprise uh, everybody and say, wow, AEW is a legit player here. I mean, I think people are already thinking that, but that would just cement it in yeah. for sure. Again, I'm just not big on predictions. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather just analyze what's already happened personally. Mm-hmm. But um, I know people love predictions. Me, I just I never, I just can't think of any. I'm sorry, RJ, I'm the worst. <laughs> so, well, here comes another prediction. Dave Pazewski, our good friend, wants to know, best of Super Juniors, who are your top three wrestlers that you want to win the tournament? I want to win? That's a lot different who I think could win. I don't know. They're, they're sure promoting Shingo quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see El Fantasma go pretty far because, you know, apparently he's probably making his debut in this tournament. I'd love to see him do well because I've, I've liked what I've seen from him, and I'm pretty excited that he's going to be in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I like Robbie Eagles a lot. I hope he does well. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really a big fan of him. So I definitely hope R- Robbie Eagles goes to distance, but I'm sure it's going to be, you know, the more standard choices, but those are my little wishes. Yeah, I think Ishimori has a good showing, I think, in this, uh, just like he did last year. Uh, surprise, or uh, somebody who, gee, I don't know. I I, I guess i got to look at the roster again and, and pick a dark horse. Uh, I guess we'll do that before the tournament starts, but... You know, Shingo, I said, it's not like Shingo's my wish. I'm just saying that's right. somebody who people keep saying he's going right, to do right. well. So that one's not my wish, but the other two are, mm-hmm. especially uh, Robbie Eagles. I don't know. I like him a lot, especially because we've seen him in PWG, and I like him there too. Yep. All right, so thanks, Dave, for that question. Now we go into our last question at Psycho Nigiri. Who do you think will have the longest and best reign out of the current three mid-card champions, Jeff Cobb, Juice Robinson, or Kota Ibushi in New Japan Pro Wrestling? Or which of the three are you most looking forward to seeing grow as champion? Well, I think the longest reign will probably be Ibushi, if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree. The most... The person I think will grow the most, I think, is Juice Robinson. Mm-hmm. Because I think we're already seeing it now where he's like, who's going to be fourth? Right. Uh, my defense is I'm done with the Bullet Club. Right. So, yeah, I think I, that'll be to me as well. If we see a lot of great matches from him, I wouldn't be surprised because New Japan should know he was super over last year with especially the Japanese crowd. Keep fostering that. Keep having him win. Keep him prominent. And that way you also elevate the U.S. belt. So you're doing two things at once that help the company as a whole and help this wrestler who really has been really great for the company. He even said, I think he said recently, he wouldn't mind if he finished his career in New Japan for wrestling. Invest in a guy like that. He's into the promotion. He's behind the promotion. Be behind him, which they have been, you know, so far. Just his first run wasn't very good. And, you know, his performance with the G1 last year wasn't very good either. But I think we're seeing a new juice. So that's who I'm looking forward to growing. I completely agree. I think Jeff Cobb is going to have the shortest of the uh, title runs, as we mentioned earlier. So uh, I think Ibushi is certainly going to have the longest run, I would think. Who knows? We could be wrong. Again, I'm bad at predictions, (laughs) but that's what I'm going with, and I'm sticking to it. And now for a discussion that's completely different, but still wrestling related. 
Earlier this week, Glenn Rubenstein and Raj Giri joined me to talk about Cobra Kai, the YouTube show based on the Karate Kid movies. It's just been renewed for a third season. Here's part one of our review and analysis of the series, which does contain spoilers. You might be thinking, what the heck does this have to do with wrestling? Well, actually, a lot of it does have to do with wrestling because storytelling is storytelling. And of course, good wrestling has good storytelling. So we're going to see what Cobra Kai did right and what some wrestling promotions can learn from it, I think. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, when it comes to professional wrestling, I feel like the flip side is true, right, Raj? I feel like every time we talk about Raw and SmackDown or even NXT and we review a storyline, we use that as a point of reference. That's a shorthand. Um, I've always said one thing I loved about Bailey versus Sasha at NXT TakeOver was the way they set her up as the underdog. And at the end, Sasha raising hands with her, respecting her. It's like the you're all right LaRusso moment from the end of Karate Kid 1. I feel like Vince McMahon notoriously has lifted things from other media so much. Writers are inspired by the media they grew up on, the media they watch. Wrestling and pop culture are intertwined. And I think this is a great way to look at the flip side of the coin. Yeah, and I think there's so much with Karate Kid in general that, uh, and Rocky that it's a very pro wrestling story, you know, where it's a, you know, it's it's an underdog character, the bad guy, the heels, and the underdog overcoming and, and winning at the end, and it's, it's a very basic story, but done so well, and those the characters are remembered, you know, decades later, and it spins off into this uh, just awesome TV show, and you know, Glenn and I with our Raw and SmackDown reviews. Um, yeah, it's been kind of tough lately with, uh, <laughs> with with the storytelling. There really hasn't been much. It's just kind of wrestler A wrestles wrestler B and beats them, and then wrestler B beats wrestler A. So it's going to be kind of weird doing a, a positive review here. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, good TV tropes and really story tropes are the same throughout time. You really can rely on the type of things that the audience can invest in. And if you kind of stay true to those tropes, you should be good. But WWE, I think, has lost sight of some of those tropes. But Cobra Kai surely did not lose sight of them. And they really kind of played into them. And I think they did things right. And it's funny that you mentioned Rocky, because actually Cobra Kai referenced Rocky three a multitude of times. I think at least two or three times they talked about, you know, let's uh, let's battle like the end of Rocky three. I think specifically yeah. the two main characters were talking about that. And I loved it, those little references there because I'm a big Rocky fan. So that was kind of neat little Easter egg. Well, do you know the uh, you're the best uh, around was originally supposed to be for Rocky three. And I actually didn't the tiger know that. was supposed to be for the karate kid. And they got swapped and you know it's it's hard to imagine it the other way around but that that was the original plan i had no idea that's a really good piece of information raj that's interesting i had no idea yeah. and you know i think cobra kai really hit it out of the park with season two but season one as well because i watched both seasons really quickly like in a span of two days and uh specifically season one was great there was a lot of little references and callbacks to karate kid the movie because i had just rewatched the movie before rewatching the show but season two started with a bang with that episode mercy two i mean crease is back and there's that epic fight scene at cobra kai between crease and uh johnny and Johnny, of course, it's slipping my mind. And it was epic. And the cigar, he knocks a cigar out of his mouth and the place goes on fire. Just that fight scene is so epic, but the story is already intriguing right off the bat from the beginning of the episode. 
Oh, one thing I would ask you, Raj. So at the end of Cobra Kai season one, how did you feel about Kreese coming back in the last shot? I was curious how they're going to, you know, go with it. I thought it could be really cheesy um, because I love that first season. Um, and it, it just we're going to have some spoilers here. So if you haven't seen the the season, uh, hold off and uh, until you have. But um, I thought it was a little cheesy, but it was intriguing. Like it, I was like, oh, shit, I hope. I hope they can do with this what they did with the first season. And I thought it, they, they, more, uh, they did that very well. Kelsey, how about you? I mean, it feels like season one of Cobra Kai was so grounded in reality, in the present that we live in. Uh, Kreese, if you look especially at the beginning of Karate Kid Part 2, certainly in Karate Kid Part 3, became a much more cartoon, mustache-twirling villain. Uh, how did you feel when you saw that, that surprise cameo at the end of Cobra Kai season one? I literally exclaimed. I was like, holy, I wasn't expecting that, to be honest, especially because they said he was dead. But maybe I should have known that they were going to flip the script on us and do kind of like a surprise by saying he was dead. It was almost like a, a secret tease in a way. But um, I thought it was well done because it was a surprise that made people, I think, talk about it after season one was over. I didn't watch season one as it aired, but I can only imagine being somebody watching it when it first aired that, you know, I was really surprised that he came back and I loved it. Again, like I said, I was watching it and I said, oh my God, holy heck. And I was just glad that I could start season two right away. It would have sucked to have waited. And oh they my did God. It, and they did it with season two, the tease at the end as, as well. So, yeah. Uh, Let's yeah. hope uh, YouTube renews this uh, soon. Oh, they're, yeah, they're, they're renewing it. I mean, right? Although I don't know if either of you have read, YouTube is changing its original content strategy right. for YouTube Premium. Um, they cancel a lot of other series orders. I don't think there's a way they don't renew this, but it is not, YouTube is not trying to compete with Netflix or right. Amazon or Disney Plus anymore. They're going to be switching to just, it's basically YouTube, right? Like the shows will be, uh, just have ads. Yeah, and it's and free. For, for this, it makes sense, I think. Um, so season one, I mean, let's talk about the story a little bit about how Cobra Kai came to be to recap it for people that don't know. The three guys that worked on the Harold and Kumar movies, they did American Reunion. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, they did Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, some of them worked on that. They had this idea to do the series. They went to Sony first. They pitched it to them to get the rights to the Karate Kid intellectual property, which Will Smith, that's why he's an executive producer on the show, because of the remake with his son. Uh, they got the rights to it. Then they had to go. They went and had lunch with William Zabka first, pitched him the story. And then it was all contingent <laughs> on Ralph Macchio signing on. And Ralph Macchio said he'd heard every pitch you could imagine for the Karate Man or Daniel has a son that he has to teach karate. He turned them all down over the years. But this is what resonated with him was this idea of taking today's world, today's problem, the, uh, problems that kids face with bullying being such an issue and the redemption story of Johnny Lawrence. You know, the fact that Daniel doesn't have this balance because of Mr. Miyagi. And what's crazy to me, this goes to the one thing the WWE kind of does when it comes to WrestleMania, but they really seem to lose sight of it with weekly television, is that the creators of Cobra Kai have seasons worth of story planned out with this. Yeah. They have all the ways it can go. And with yeah. the WWE, we hear about the big mania match that they're going to build towards, like Roman and Brock. They spent a year building towards that story. Uh, Becky, Ronda, and Charlotte, they spent a lot of time building towards. But isn't it amazing what you can do when you plan out, you know, a 10-episode arc for somebody and you start with where you want to end up and then work backwards to get to that satisfying payoff? Yeah. And, you know, I feel like they could do that. Like, you take your top guys. You look at Seth Rollins. You're like... 
where do we want to take him for WrestleMania 36? And it, yeah, it's not 10 episodes, but it's a 10 month arc. Like, you know, this is kind yeah. of where we want to start him off uh, through the summer and get him here uh, with this guy. And so this guy is going to be doing this and, and Becky Lynch and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, I mean, all great. The, the Game of Thrones, they all have the idea of where they're going. And, you know, things do come up, injuries, you know, real life characters dying, you know, like um, it, things come up. But as long as you have enough storylines, one of them falling through or two of them falling through won't kill you. And you can you can change on the fly. That's the thing. You know, current WWE has kind of lost sight of that long term planning. If you look at older WWE, they used yes. to plan ahead, like in the build to Mania. You had a story that they were building towards for months. I mean, let's look at this past Mania. That was thrown together haphazardly. Cooper Kai couldn't get away with that. They yeah, can't no. just throw the season together. Right. They've got to have a plan. And I think the same thing should be said about wrestling. They should have a plan. And like you said, Raj, if injuries happen, you know, one or two, they can work around that, but there should still be an overarching kind of plan right. and and story to be told. Right. And not just one. Like, you could, I mean, if they had plans for Roman at this year's Mania that fell apart with the leukemia diagnosis, well, you should have like four other things, you know, backed up and guys that are protected so you could easily fill them in or, uh, you know, kind of add them to the story or, or you know, just just storytelling. It's missing storytelling and characters and Cobra Kai. They did it. They did it great. So if we want to yeah. yeah, just briefly recap the first season, what happened uh, for if anyone, I'm sure everyone's seen it. Maybe we could, should we just jump in a second? Well, actually, I mean, I think we can kind of talk about the first season and also talk about, you, you mentioned character and character and story go hand in hand. And I think something that was established in the first season is we saw the redemption of Johnny. Johnny, you know, was kind of like the bad guy, obviously in the original Karate Kid. He was the villain to Daniel. And yet in Cobra Kai, things have been flipped on the reverse. And he's actually a really a really great character, a character you can almost root for, especially after the first episode. He's We kind of see him down and out in the first episode. Daniel's life is together. He's selling cars. He's got a successful dealership and a great family, whereas Johnny is on the outs and he's not doing very well, but he decides, hey, I'm going to reopen Cobra Kai. That was the best time of my life. And though it starts off rocky, we actually come to love Johnny. And I think I've seen that on my Twitter. I actually put out some polls like, who do you prefer in Cobra Kai? Do you prefer Johnny or Daniel? And the majority of people actually said Johnny, which I found surprising because when you watch Karate Kid, you would probably root for Daniel, right? I was LaRusso all the way in Karate Kid for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I found Johnny to be the more interesting character in in both seasons, but really in the second, even more so in the second. I still like Daniel. It's not like I want uh, I'm rooting against him or anything, but uh, I think Johnny. There's a, a scene in both the first and se second seasons where Johnny explains it from his side. <laughs> he really makes and and you know kind of goes through the whole first movie, but from his point of view. And it actually makes sense, you know, but the way he explains it is like, yeah, that was kind of, LaRusso was kind of a jerk. I mean, well, he did move in on Allie a little right. bit, a yeah. tiny bit. Exactly. Uh, but the thing that they really drive home is that Johnny's worst qualities and worst characteristics in the movies, uh, his worst actions, have all been influenced by Kreese and this philosophy. And I feel like in season two, they really, really underline that. Uh, so that being said, and we should probably jump in and just start talking about season two and uh where it goes i mean so they really see the first episode of season two felt more like an epilogue to the finale of season one 
we had Johnny squaring off with Kreese, who wanted to uh, get reinvolved with Cobra Kai immediately. We had Daniel picking up the thread that he was going to teach his daughter, Samantha. In addition to Robbie, uh, Miyagi-Do Karate reopened the Miyagi-Do Dojo in Mr. Miyagi's uh, palatial estate. And uh, it really set up the threads for the season, the conflicts. You had uh, Miguel... Um, pining over the loss of Samantha and their relationship. And while you could see that Miguel was a little more thoughtful and already starting to take to heart what Johnny had told him in the end of season one, you could see that Hawk and some of the other students were more on the traditional Cobra Kai route already, the no mercy idea. And um, I really loved how this episode set everything up. I want to talk specifically though, uh, and, and feel free to jump in if I forgot anything, but I really want to talk specifically about the last shot of that episode, because we had Johnny that pushed Crease away, and Crease comes back, brings Johnny the broken trophy from the beginning of Karate Kid Part 2, the trophy he broke in the parking lot from the All-Valley Tournament. Crease has fixed it, gives it to Johnny, gives a very humble apology, turns around and leaves. Johnny calls him back, and then they just linger for a second long enough to see that sort of smirk on Crease's <laughs> face. Yeah. Do you think it was almost a mistake to tip the hand that Crease had something up his sleeve so early in the season? Because to me, that was the, my, almost my only qualm with the opening episode. Kelsey, what did you think? I thought the smile or the smirk was so subtle. I actually really liked it because I think we're already second guessing Crease before he even does that smirk. I feel like, but yes, you're right. It's kind of giving it away in a little, you know, in a little bit of a sense. But if you look at Karate Kid, Karate Kid did things over the top. It was a little cheesy. So I think in that sense, cheesy in a good way. I'm not trying to be offensive because I love Karate Kid. I feel like the smirk was playing into the feeling and the tone of the original. So I liked it personally. I kind of liked it too. I, th I felt like it got you more behind Johnny from the beginning. Uh, one thing I also liked at the beginning, you know, all the, the throwbacks to Karate Kid Part 2, the very, you know, first scene in Karate Kid Part 2 where Kreese is choking out Johnny. Um, and I liked the fight because the one thing I thought might be cheesy with the second season was if Kreese was in, it, in on it all the time, the whole time with Johnny because Johnny had this big redemption story kind of in that first season. And it'd be kind of all for naught if he was, in cahoots with crease the whole time that that wasn't the case so i really liked it and and uh i i see what you're saying glenn it, it would have been a little different if you thought crease really was changing and then you kind of see that he's not but i also like that he, he's the one real bad guy that's on this you know on this series and in the movies um mm. that's been consistent and i kind of like that they kept him that way uh, do we want to talk about sort of his arc as opposed to going episode by episode and sort of talk about sure. some of the actions? So with Kreese, uh, we learned throughout the series that all his stories about Panama and working in the Middle East, all of that's a lie. He seems to be at some shelter for homeless vets, uh, you know, barely hanging on to his bed there because he's getting in fights with other residents. Very humbled man. Um, and I thought that that was really good that they humanized him for an episode Similar in the way we came to care about Johnny in season one, where it was like, okay, Kreese is a man out of time. Yes, he has some, let's just politely call them antiquated views about the world. <laughs> um, but he's a, he's a humble man who has fallen and he's trying to rebuild his life back to something that he could cling to. I really liked that. I wonder how much of that even was true, given how far they swung that pendulum back the other direction given where it went the season with his secret takeover of Copra Kai that was revealed at the very end. 
it's like he had this master plan all along and was just a great actor. And I say great actor, the character was a great actor trying to fool Johnny, basically. And that's what he had to do to try to gain control. So it was all part of his master plan. It was skillfully done. But he had me fooled because I even wrote down like, wow, they're even humanizing Crease. But it really wasn't true emotions or true feelings because it was all part of his plan, I think. Yeah. Um, I thought, uh, yeah, I thought Crease's, you know, it's it's interesting where they're going to go with this. I, I have my theories, but you know, Kreese's arc to kind of take over the Cobra Kai's, which he, you know, he started it seeing his student uh, taking it over from him and then uh, coming back into the picture. Yeah, I mean, he was, he, I mean, he was a, kind of a jerk. Anytime you saw the real Kreese the whole season, he was kind of a prick. <laughs> and so you're rooting against him. He's trying to turn Johnny, but Johnny is becoming more and more like Daniel like with every episode, like uh, basically saying that karate's for defense only. And, uh, you know, you don't... Uh, you don't hit an injured opponent and you see the guys like Hawk, who was a very sympathetic character early on, who became, who's become the new Johnny in a lot of ways. Uh, you see that transformation. So um, becoming the new Dutch. I mean, he's yes. becoming like fun psycho. So, in fact, Hawk goes so far in that direction. They have to give us a flashback to remind right. us that Hawk was once a sympathetic character. Right. Yeah. And after we saw that flashback, I really thought and had hope, like maybe, just maybe they're going to show, you know, that he's learned something, that he's going to kind of right. go back the other direction a little bit. But nope, full on heel completely. He's no tweener. Yeah, no, he's turned completely. <laughs> oh, yeah. That kid but, is such a good actor. He is. He's so good. Very and because lame. of his backstory, he could always turn babyface. <laughs> <laughs> That's you true. Know? Yeah, you know, although we definitely didn't see that. So, so here's uh, I, you know, I haven't seen this in any of the reviews. I want to get your theories on this. What's interesting about this? This is the second season of Cobra Kai. You would think, oh, the Karate Kid two is going to be the themes they follow. No, I think the shadow of Karate Kid three was hanging over this season so heavily in that you had the evil mastermind crease. I was expecting Terry Silver to come out of the shadows at the very end of the season, that he's been secretly bankrolling this entire thing. It's all a sham. And, uh, you know, to that end, I think uh, it also explains Daniel's actions, because did you feel... Like in the later episodes, the way Daniel was reacting or overreacting, even when Samantha was at uh, Johnny's house and Robbie took her there and he's freaking out as I was like, OK, this guy's losing it. This is my suspension of disbelief. But then I remembered, oh, no, wait a second. In Karate Kid 3, there was an elaborate ruse to deceive him with faking Kreese's death and uh, Terry Silver bringing Daniel into Cobra Kai. They straight up tried to like murder him on one occation on the side of a cliff when he was there with uh <laughs> uh robin lively's character i mean they they drove uh uh mr miyagi's little trees out of business because they kept busting up the store so i think you have to almost take karate kid three into account to really believe a lot of what you're seeing in cobra kai season two well they they reference it right like yeah. uh this was the first time they had referenced the third i mean they were throwbacks to the second uh karate kid in the first season of cobra kai but um I've kind of blocked the third one out of my head because I was... How? It's I such just, a great movie. Oh, my gosh. I love the first two, and I thought the third one just like left such a stain on the series. Oh, it's oh so over the top. Uh, what about uh, you, Kelsey? What, how are you on part three? I have really got to rewatch it. Like like Raj says, like I barely remember it, but I remember liking it when I saw it like so many years ago. I do remember liking it. And I do... I caught some of the references, but again, it's just so cloudy in my mind. What I was more focused on was like, the references are great, but 
I feel like even in the finale of season two, they were referencing and mirroring the first episode of season two. It feels mm. like they were perfect bookends of each other. Like we open up with season two with that epic fight scene between Crease and Johnny, but it ends with an epic fight scene at the school. And again, I, I'm seeing a lot of like mirrored themes in both the season opener and the season ender. And I do want to say, I mean, this is not a reference to the third movie, but a reference to the first movie, of course. So we see at the end when Johnny throws his phone, we see Allie's name. Mm-hmm. Are we going to get an Allie appearance in oh, season three? For sure. They, they hinted it so strongly that there's no way that they can't. Uh, one of the things I hated about the third was not only did Daniel get his ass kicked the whole movie, and then when he <laughs> finally wins at the end, he wins on a technicality. Like he's getting his ass kicked the whole fight and kind of wins on a technicality. And then he doesn't get the girl. And she doesn't, you know, she's not even there. And like he just he just comes across like his character just came across so crappy in that third one. But um very WWE booking. It was. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how you book a baby face. Um, yeah, no. Look, I like uh, I love part three not because it's a great film in the sense the first one is. I mean, you've got Terry Silver, the actor's uh, you know, the character who's talking about being back in Nam with John Kreese, and he's the same age as Ralph Macchio in real life. You know, he's got the ponytail. He's in a hot tub and a sauna, ordering toxic waste to be dumped behind a school. You know, and in preserved wetlands, he's doing shady stuff. It's so over the top that uh, I don't know. I mean, I really enjoy it for that reason because it is just almost. Um, a parody of itself that it's it's such an epic late 80s action film that they did with I wouldn't this. say epic <laughs> well and karate kid part two is a very nice movie and it's a very thoughtful movie but i rewatched it um in the uh, lead up to cobra kai season one i was like it's good but it's still kind of boring it's why it's a movie um it's the one i've seen the least of the series i've actually seen the next karate kid more than i've seen karate kid part two really for me it was one and two and i've seen i've seen two probably near as many times as one i love the soundtrack and Absolutely. Gloria love and the background music and chosen and kumiko but uh no it's good and, and you know and I, we have a rule in this house anytime we're flipping channels and the karate kid part one is on we watch the karate kid part one <laughs> uh one thing that they did uh they did mention in, in part three and i totally forgotten that daniel technically was a cobra kai like when yeah, he started telling yeah. that story like hey i even be- became a cobra kai i was like no you didn't <laughs> don't you know don't because there's no way you you he would have done it after the third but then when he started explaining it, it's like yeah i guess technically he was yeah. so um yeah, I, I did flash- like that throwback to the third they had the flashbacks to prove it. So it was definitely true. I loved that uh, little reference. And it's funny how you talked about which ones you watched more. I actually watched the next Karate Kid more than all of them. (laughs) Because of course, my generation, that's what was always replaying on TV, the next Karate Kid. It's not a bad movie. Uh, It's very watchable. And according to the creators, it is part of the canon. It is possible that Hillary Swank she could show up at some point oh um, my god that would be so cool i would like that actually hey you had the so another thing in the second season of karate kid you had the original cobra kai's all of them uh except for dutch, except for dutch. in prison apparently chad mcqueen uh, wasn't able to make his schedule work to come back for this oh, okay but yeah the rest of the cobra kai were all what 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 has he got going chad mcqueen i don't think he acts anymore i don't know oh, what he gotcha. does I'm assuming his dad probably left him a pretty sizable estate. He probably doesn't have to work. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, But no, that episode was great in episode six. Those other Cobra Kai's, I would not recognize them if they walked by me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I recognize the one that was in uh, Head of the Class. Bobby? Uh, No. uh, Who is it? Um, Who's the actor? Is it Tony O'Dell? 
Yeah, yeah who did he about. play? Um, yeah, I mean, he looks roughly like he, you know what it was. He was one of those guys in the '80s and head of the class that looked like he was in his 30s already. You know how some people they didn't age because they've always looked old. Like yeah. he was one of those actors in the '80s, but uh, he was back, and they had a uh, Bobby. I got. I thought it was so funny how they did that and had the story the one last ride the one last evening and then the epic joke at the end which on twitter the writers admitted that they were really really pushing for of course he's the one that ends up in the body bag uh at the end of that episode <laughs> that's quality writing why can't the WWE i didn't even realize that that is great yeah so, oh i mean that's that is like really plotting something out wow put him in a body bag that is an epic line from the first and he ends up dead <laughs> he's yeah. the only he's yeah the he's the only one well i feel uh, like when when johnny reconnects with his old cobra kai buddies i feel like that's such a huge part of the season because it obviously has some kind of impact on johnny and i think he realizes that he's really got to make sure that crease doesn't f up cobra kai because they're so adamant like what the hell crease is back what are you doing dude right. and um yeah. and then he sees his friend die so i think yeah. all of that was a huge thing for johnny's character so i think that episode is actually really important in the season mm-hmm. yeah and uh, part of me it's tommy he's the body bag guy and he's the one that, that dies at wow. the end of episode six um yeah bobby now a pastor uh no i thought it was great that yeah they wanted nothing to do with cobra kai johnny was almost ashamed to mm-hmm. uh tell him about his venture with that because, you know, I would love to see more of uh, their stories come in. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see um, uh, either of the surviving Cobra Kai's yeah. uh, or even Dutch show up in season three. Yeah, like uh, Daniel's mom, where they just pop in here and there. Oh, yeah. that'd be great. Crease breaks Dutch out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> Go full on with it, you know? Go all the way. And he's married to Allie now. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> so uh actually you know speaking of so i don't know if either of you saw this online someone's saying it's based on an early casting side that tori the new character the new female character they introduced the season tori with a y much like ally with an i in uh, the karate kid that her last name was it schweiber which is ally's married name in uh, that we see on the phone, Allie Mills Schweiber, that that's Tori's name. People are speculating that she's going to be involved somehow in this. That is not confirmed as canon. The creators not confirmed this. It's completely fan speculation. Don't you think that's almost too convenient of storytelling to try and get everyone in the same universe? I do, but you know what's funny is how when she introduced herself with as Tori with a Y, just like Allie introduced herself as Allie with an I, it's funny the mirrored things in that so that would kind of be they were really plotting and writing to a t to give hidden messages if she really did wind up as related to Allie somehow that would be kind of very very purposeful i think looking back if that were to be revealed to be true but i don't know that's too convenient like you said wait is her name actually shiver uh, uh, no, they had, oh, it was okay. an early casting side. Somebody is saying that was out there that that was Tori's last name. They never they said her casting. last name. She right? never said mm. her last name, but that would be like saying that, you know, Oh, Hey, remember Daniel's neighbor, uh, Freddie with the make and bacon t-shirt. That's Robbie's father. It's like, well, they're not but, doing... but in general on this show, they're doing a lot of happen to be intertwined. Like, you know, Daniel happens to be t- training Johnny's kid and, you know, and, and the way their paths all cross and, and, you know, Johnny's kid happens to fall for Daniel's kid. And if you do it the right way, uh, I mean, if you have a reason why she joined Cobra Kai and it has to do with Allie and like maybe she had heard about Johnny uh, from her mom. So it gives a reason, not just it was happenstance, but there was an actual reason because she when she did come to Cobra Kai, it did seem like 
she had a, a meaning, a, a reason to be there. Perhaps. So. No, I mean, I, no, could I like that. I, that's interesting. I never even thought about that. Yeah, I think that would be uh, an interesting turn and way to take things. But yeah, there's definitely been a lot of convenience of plot in this series, but there almost has to be, right? Or else uh, you have to go too far to explain why everything is happening. But with uh, Tori, I thought it was smart for them to bring in a female antagonist uh, to give Samantha someone that she could have a rivalry with, given that Robbie and uh, oh, I'm a Blake, and Miguel are Miguel, having, yeah. Yeah, having such a rivalry now. Yeah. I thought it was definitely a good decision. However, I don't really like Tori at all. And I think that's the point. You're not supposed to like her. And I really loathe her. I mean, to <laughs> me, even Hawk has some like, you can sympathize with him a little bit, even though really I dislike him quite a bit too. So she, to me, she's like the female Hawk right now. And I think that's good because you need somebody to really root against because I don't see Sam as that type of person. You can't really root against her. Even though she does do certain <laughs> things wrong, she's got some gray areas. She's not perfect, obviously. But yeah, I don't like Tori it's, at all. it's funny i i am the opposite really <laughs> i like tori and miguel um well you were saying you didn't like robbie tell me why and robbie every every time he talks you know he's got this smile after everything he says so like, oh i see that <laughs> and uh it just drives me insane and uh and samantha too just smiling after every sentence just uh but I, I, she doesn't bother me near as much as Robbie and I really like Miguel he's uh Miguel's great of, yeah outside of Johnny and and Daniel he's my favorite character on the show and he's one that you're seeing like he, he's he's you know he's got his good qualities and his bad qualities but he stays good even though he's with the Cobra Kai and um you know he's 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 the natural baby face but he, he turns heel every now and then, but he's always a, a baby face, you know, deep inside. And Robbie at the end, we, let's get to this because we got to be wrapping up here. That that seemed like he was a, a turn to the bat, uh, a turn to the dark side at the very end. Stay tuned for part two of our Cobra Kai discussion coming next week. So uh, we're going to wrap things up again. Uh, Kelsey likes this week. Want to plug that one more time? Yeah, if you guys have any questions you want to ask me, you want to know more about me, you want to know my favorites of anything, movies, TV shows, cartoons, literally anything pop culture related or also wrestling related, you want to ask me a specific wrestling question, go to my Twitter at superkickingit, S-U-P-E-R-K-I-C-K-I-N-G-I-T, send me a message or tweet me your question. I'll answer it on Kelsey Likes again next Tuesday, not Wednesday. Right. Uh, and make sure you check out her either or from this week, Goodfellas versus Godfather. Next week, we've uh, alluded to it a little bit. We're going to take the show on the road. Uh, we'll do the show from Chicago because the following weekend, uh, we're going to go see War of the Worlds in Grand Rapids and uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. So we're going to do the show from Chicago. I'm looking forward to that, but looking even more ahead and more farther away, man, we're about to go to Double or Nothing soon. It's yep. technically in this month, so yep. it's not that that far away. No. So look out for that because we'll be putting out great content, hopefully. We have media credentials for StarCast, so I can't wait to see what kind of coverage we can get there. And uh, just stay tuned to our Twitter. We'll bring you all the news. Yep. Thanks so much, but that's all the news we have for today. <laughs> so right. we appreciate you watching or listening. And as always, we really value your time, and it means so much to us. But that's the wrap for us. That's the finish.